0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 2nd, 2022. It is currently 4.38 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And right in front of me right now is the book, of Micah. And I have open Micah chapter five because, well, that is the text of study for this week, for another week. In fact, for the very first week of Bible study for 2022, for the the very first week of Bible study for 2022 is Micah chapter five. And I hope you're going to participate. In fact, what I really hope is that you participate for all of the Bible study exercises. Now, I know that some of you, you've got certain goals and certain plans for what you're going to do in 2022. And I know you've got a lot of things you're going to try to do and a lot of things you're going to try to accomplish. I hope that even if you don't participate in the Bible study exercises as far as doing the assignments, looking everything up, I hope that you will at least listen to all of the Bible study exercise podcast episodes. I hope you'll do that. And I do hope You will join us in the Bible Memory. I hope you will do that. Now, we have set up a Theology Central Bible Memory group, and it's a part of the Bible Memory app. If you'll download the Bible Memory app, it's absolutely free. Android, Apple device. Once you download the the, the, uh, Bible Memory app, just go to groups, do us and hit see all and do a search for Theology Central. Join the group. The app gives you like a three-step process to help you memorize scripture. And for each Bible study that we're doing this year, Remember, each week is basically going to be focused on one passage of Scripture, an entire week on one passage of Scripture. We're going to choose one verse from that passage and make that the Bible memory verse of the week. There may be some specialist situations or special occasions where we put two or three verses or maybe a passage or or maybe just one. It's going to change, but I'm not going to try to make it too overwhelming or too crazy. Um, but the, the memory verse for this week is Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where we read these words. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That is the memory verse this week. And what we are attempting to do is study the whole chapter of Micah to try to understand not only this prophecy, but what follows soon after where we read words like this. Therefore, will he give them up until the time that she which travelleth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel." And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. What in the world is is all of that about, okay? Before we can even try to figure any of that out, what we are doing this week, so so, so to figure any of that out, we have to study the whole chapter, Micah chapter five. But immediately I realized, not only do we need to study the chapter, which we do, we need to do a little background study. So this morning, right here in Victory Baptist Church, in the sanctuary when it wasn't empty, we did an hour plus, in fact, how long was it? Um, You know, it was about an hour, about 60 minutes. We did a Bible study exercise, Micah chapter 5, part 2, where we worked through an overview of the book. What I want to do right now, this is not going to take a lot of your time, is I'm just going to try to do a little, kind of complete that overview just a little bit and just kind of get you started for this week of Bible study. So you already know some things you need to do. You need to be reading Micah chapter 5 over and over and over and over and over again. I've already given you some things to work on, but uh, just continue to do that. Memorize Micah 5.2 using the Bible Memory app. That's simple, that's straightforward. And then and then uh, I wanted you to start thinking about the book background, in which we I did a little, I did most of the work for you this morning. I think I, I'm gonna try to finish that up. And then once we get that, overview kind of in place. Part of me wants to go back to chapter four, but then I'm going to want you to just start working on chapter five and just see what you can figure out, what you can understand using whatever resources you have. This is a situation where you're going to have to, you're going to have to utilize a lot of sources. Like sometimes I'm like, hey, don't look up anything. Just let the text figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's almost impossible with Mike. I mean, just look at how verse one begins. Now gather thyself and troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Okay, maybe going back to chapter 4 we'll give you some idea what's going on, but I can almost guarantee you're going to need some commentaries. You're going to need some resources to try to figure this out. So you're going to have the opportunity to start digging into that. I just want to try to get you at least finish the overview a little bit, kind of remind you a little bit of what we talked about this morning, finish up the overview. I was so close to finishing it up this morning. I probably, I probably should have just went ahead and done it, but I thought this would give me a little time this afternoon just to say, okay, guys, are you ready? Everybody set? Everybody ready to go? Now, remember, as you're working on this, email me anytime, newsif at yahoo.com. Give me your thoughts, your observation, your questions. If Look, if you find yourself just completely lost, you're like, I don't have a clue what's going on here. It makes no sense to me. I've looked up 10 commentaries, and I've gotten 50 opinions. Let me know. Let me know what you're finding. Let me know your struggle, and then we will talk about it this week, a part of the Bible study exercise. That's the whole goal, is to get you involved. Remember, I don't want you being passive listener, but active participant. And of course, if you're a part of the Theology Central Discord uh, group, by all means, Throw out every, anything and everything you want in there and we'll see if we get a good discussion going on there as well. But we have a lot to figure out. I, there's, the more I read Micah chapter five, the more I'm like, man, this, what what are we going to do with it? How are we going to work? How are we going to find the answers to some of these things? This this is that time. And, I, and remember when we do the Bible study exercises, I love to kind of, I, I try to just throw out practical things for you to just, I just, it's the Bible study exercise is all about just teaching you about Bible study and also trying to just hopefully relate things that, that any average person studying the Bible will, will probably feel and, and show you that, Hey, no, no, we all feel the same way. Now let's work together. This is one of those chapters. I just got to be honest with you. When I read some of this in Micah chapter five, when I read about, okay, and this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land. Wait, the man who are you talking about the one that's going to be born in Bethlehem? Is that the man who's going to be who's going to be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land? And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we rise against raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men? And then and then I have a cross reference to Isaiah 9 6. And they shall wait, Shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod. I mean, there's just so much going on here. I, I, I don't know about you. My initial feeling is, this is my initial feeling. Okay, wow, what? I'm never going to figure this out. This is so complicated. This is going to be so difficult. I, and there's almost a feeling of just like, you know what? Never mind. Never. Let's just, let's just forget this. Let's just forget this. I I tried to tell you, I I mentioned this the other day. When you start having that feeling that it's just too much, you're a little overwhelmed by it. You don't even know where to start. That is just, to me, that's a warning. That's not, it's like a, it's an alarm system saying, hey, that means stay right here. When, When you want to just give up, when you just feel like you're overwhelmed and you're drowning, stay right there because that means we need to dig and see what we can take away from this. So as we, as you work through Ma- Micah 5 this week, okay, after we finish the overview here in a minute, I really want you to just try to figure out what you can cl- remember. I-, I love doing this with every t- every chapter, a piece of paper lying right down the middle on one side, what we what we can know. Just write down, here are the things that we can be dogmatic about. Here's the things we clearly know. And then on the other side, everything that we're not sure about. Things that we don't know. Because sometimes when you finish a chapter, you just have to acknowledge these 4, 5, 10, 15 things, we just don't know. Nobody agrees. Commentaries don't agree. So let's not pretend that we have figured it out. And here, But here's what we do know. You always want to make sure you grab onto what you do know. You hold on to that. You see what you can learn from it, but be willing to acknowledge with humility that there's some things there we just can't figure out. There's some things there I I'm just sitting there looking at it going, "I am so baffled here in what's going on." Like it just seems so I don't maybe maybe it's just me. It just seems so like out of the blue, "Hey, someone coming from Bethlehem, he's going to be the ruler." Okay, but then go right back to the Assyrians and and then all, wait, what what just, wait, what just happened? Do do we, did they mention the one being born in Bethlehem and that's Jesus? And then do they jump, does the text jump back to a different time period, a different scene, or is it talking about Jesus still? When, when do they stop talking about the one born in Bethlehem? I mean, these are just some basic questions that you should struggle with. So I just, I really want you just, uh, hopefully after we finish this overview, you're going to have enough, I I mean, you can continue to do other work on the overview of the book and see what else you can find that you think is important. Hopefully the overview I've given you has been somewhat sufficient. I know we didn't even scratch the surface on doing overview background work. We're basically trying to do like a book background study. It's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, Here in the church, we had, everyone had, you know, there were different, uh, Dictionaries available, and we didn't really get a chance to dig into all of the different dictionaries, but uh, we we mentioned a lot of important things. But let's let's just do a quick overview and try to finish this up. Are you ready? Okay, so we started this morning, if you remember, by uh, looking at a sculpture that is in the uh, the gardens of the United Nations headquarters in New York City, and it's a sculpture. It's kind of grayish, greenish, grayish in color, um, and it's it. It's based off Micah chapter four verse three, where basically, hey, the sword uh, uh, nation will not take up the sword against nation, and they will uh, never again train for war. They're going to beat their swords into ploughs and their spears into pruning knives. That there's this prophecy of all these nations are going to stop fighting each other. They're not even going to need weapons of war. And we and and this is a a sculpture that is there in the United Nations. Headquarters in the guard, garden there, and I'm looking at a picture of it right here, and it's it's just interesting that it's based off this Bible verse. So that's where we started this morning, and then we started doing some basic overview of the book. Here we go, just quickly. We learned that Micah is an eighth century BC Israelite prophet from Judah, and that he gave his that his name has been connected to the book as its composer, and that the name basically means "Who is like the Lord." who is like the Lord. Now, we didn't do a lot of double verification of that, our triple verification of that, but you can look and see if all sources pretty much agree with that. Uh, We talked about the one source that I'm using here, the Ultimate Bible Guide, as they claim the key text is uh, Micah. If I say Isaiah, I apologize. Micah chapter three, verse eight. As for me, however, I am filled with the power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob, his rebellion, and to Israel, his sin. Micah, as a prophet, is here to proclaim judgment and rebuke. That is what he is there to do. We talked about the key term really is idolatry, uh, that the, the sin of Judah was idolatry. They had rejected the first part of the Ten Commandments. They rebelled against that. They had placed other gods before the true God. They had turned, they created images, etc. Etc., etc. All right. We also talked about that if we summarize the book in like one sentence, we said Micah, although Micah also prophesied against Israel, his main message was against Judah. We realized that he had a message really to Israel and Judah. Judah was his primary audience. Uh, That they must repent of idolatry and injustice or go into exile, but then be restored to divine blessings under the ruler from Bethlehem. Now that's that's where things get very interesting. We understand the judgment. We understand exile. We understand Babylonian captivity. We understand all of that the the Assyrians Israel we understand all of that from a historical perspective. But they're going to be restored to divine blessing under the ruler from Bethlehem? When when did that occur? And that, that gets us into some of these verses in Micah 5, where you're like, wait a minute, there's, there's Jesus in Bethlehem. What, what's the rest of this? Is this somehow about Jesus? Well, when did this occur? When did this happen? All right. um, we talked about the purpose. The book preserves the divinely inspired prophecies that Micah made during his ministry of, of at least 20 years. These prophecies were originally for the people of Judah facing Assyrian invasions. Micah warned that because of idolatry and injustice, God's case against Judah and Israel were severe. Their kingdoms would be destroyed, even though individuals could still repent and seek the Lord. Like Isaiah, his colleague, Micah looked beyond the Assyrian captivity of Israel and the Babylonian captivity of Judah to the time when they would be forgiven. Again, speaking of of the nation, forgiven, restored in righteousness, and living under the Davidic ruler that God would send. This is seeming to speak of a corporate salvation of Israel, a corporate restoration, and a corporate living in submission under the ruler that would come from Bethlehem. Again, raises all kinds of questions, and when did that occur? Micah deals with the, uh, well, we, uh, I'll skip some of that because that gets into all kinds of other things that we kind of talked about this morning. Um yeah, and we can we can kind of skip, we'll skip all of those things that we talked about this morning. That kind of gives you a basic idea of what we've looked at. And then uh, we talked about when the events of this book happened. Now, we, we, we were still working together this morning. Remember, I, I did the Sunday school class, like a Bible study exercise, Bible study exercise rules, where I, I try to get the people involved. And I'm going to do the same thing here. According to one source, Micah prophesied during the reigns of three kings of Judah, jotham ahaz and hezekiah and that seems not only just to be according to this source that seems to be justified from the scriptures themselves um, and this probably occurred between 740 and 700 bc 740 and 700 bc this would have been when he was prophesying second kings 1532 to second kings 20 verse 21 And 2 Chronicles 27 to 32 provides the historical narrative for the three kings mentioned in Micah chapter 1, verse 1. So if you want more information about those three kings and their reign, you can read those sections of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. In the city of Samaria, idolatrous kings ruled the northern kingdom of Israel. The power of Aram, Syria, with its capital in Damascus, was a constant threat. Then there were the Assyrians with their capital in Nineveh. Judah was isolated with many powerful enemies. During the rule of King Ahaz, between 735 and 715 BC, the Assyrians conquered Samaria, fulfilling Micah's word. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, 715 to 686 BC, paid attention to the prophets Isaiah and Micah and instituted religious reform. The events of Micah time belongs to chapter two of the story. God educates his nation, disobedient Israel's discipline. Judah was weak and impotent. It had overcome, it had become like the surrounding nations, idolatrous and corrupt to the core. There was little sense that it was part of God's kingdom of righteousness and holiness. There were disobedient and sinful people who would be judged. Yet Micah prophesied the coming of a ruler, a descendant of David, to be born in Bethlehem, one who would one day rule the kingdom in righteousness. When did he rule the kingdom? When? When? Is it not a literal kingdom? It wasn't literally going to rule over the nation. It was all spiritual for basically the church and not the nation itself. Those are the kinds of questions related to eschatology we get into. Now, this is the last two pages of this, and that's all kind of review. And this will be a little bit of review, but we'll really dig in here. All right, the author and date of writing, Micah, perhaps 700 BC. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah and Hosea. He was from the small town of Moriseth, probably Moriseth Gath and southern Judah. Almost nothing is known of his personal life. He saw the fulfillment of his predictions about the fall of Samaria to the Assyrians. Micah also witnessed the great religious revivals initiated by Hezekiah, which delayed by a century the fulfillment of his prophecy about the coming fall of Jerusalem. He was one of the few prophets whose warnings of judgment were heeded. He probably wrote down his prophecies during the last years of Hezekiah. Now, just remember we had a big discussion about this uh, between Sunday school and church here in the, in the church that, Sometimes the dating of the book may be one, but that doesn't mean that that's when he gave his, pro- like he could be speaking the prophecies prior to the fact, the time they were written down, all right? So sometimes you'll see the dating of the book, and you're like, but, but just remember, he may have been speaking the prophecies prior to them being written down. Because it's not like he could say, oh, I have a prophecy, let me write it down and then share this book with everyone. No, he had to go speak the prophecies and then being written down was for them to be preserved right? So just so that we understand that. Uh, The audience and destination, the people of Judah living during Micah's lifetime was the audience. The first hearers were people living in Judah near the end of 700, 700 BC. The specific occasion of Micah's prophecies is not known. They do, however, fit the period of religious and social corruption present during the rule of Ahaz, see 2 Kings 16. According to Jeremiah twenty six eighteen, Hezekiah repented and response to hearing Micah, uh, and uh, a, a pro- uh, to hearing Micah three twelve. So when a- when Hezekiah heard the words of Micah three twelve or the words of Micah's prophecy, he repented, um, and this was a prophecy of the coming fall of Jerusalem. The religious revival Hezekiah instituted marked a genuine return to worship of the Lord. Later on. Isaiah worked with Hezekiah when the Assyrian army under Sennacherib laid siege against Jerusalem in 701 BC. And God miraculously spared the city. We read about this Isaiah 36 and 37. Micah did not tell what prompted the collections of his writings. So we don't know what prompted it other than obviously God wanted the the prophecies preserved in writing. Now, literary features of the book of Micah. The genre and literary style. Prophecies written entirely in Hebrew poetry. Micah's prophecies both foretell and foretell. He includes the three classic elements of Hebrew prophecy. One, a call to people to turn from their sins and the face of divine judgment, which in fact happened. So he calls people to turn from their sins. That's one of the key elements of Hebrew uh, prophecy. Hey, repent, turn from your sins. And in this particular case, there is some actual, it, in fact, actually happened. And we see that in, in, in Hezekiah's repentance or listening to the to the warnings. Number two, predictions of near events, such as the fall of Samaria. So number one, the the three classic elements of Hebrew prophecy, a call for people to repent or turn from their sins. Number two, predictions of near events. So he predicted things that would happen somewhere close to the time of his life. There there were near events, nothing super far away, nothing thousands of years away, something that was closer and near. Number three, predictions of remote events such as the birth in Bethlehem of the coming ruler. So, he's got there's three elements to his prophecy. Repent. Okay. Now, here's something that's going to happen and now we have to find from our vantage point, it's something that's already occurred. It's something that's happened in history. We've got to go back and go wait a minute. He prophesied that. Wait, see that it was fulfilled right here. It was fulfilled fulfilled in the 600s or the 500 BC. See, it was fulfilled. Now, the third wait, that's something that was far off. That, that Has that even occurred in our lifetime? Like there may, did he prophesy any things related to this ruler that was going to come from Bethlehem? Did he, are there any prophecies about this ruler that hasn't even happened in our lifetime in 2022, if I said 2021, I apologize, all the way in 2022. So you always, okay, where is the repentance? What is, what, is the, what does the prophet want them to repent from? All right, here's the sins I want to repent from. All right, here's a prediction. All right, oh, that's a, that's a near prediction. It was fulfilled right here. Wait, here's a prediction. Not only was it a long ways off from them, it's a long ways off for us. Now, the fact that the prophecy of, of the ruler being born in Bethlehem, that was a long ways off for them. Now we can look back and see that one, but... Was there other prophecies about this ruler that hasn't even been fulfilled all the way up to 2022? See, those are the kinds of things you have to figure out and look at. Micah's poetic style alternates between a hard-charging attack against sins and the promise of coming restoration. Sometimes he uses I to voice God's own words. Sometimes the I... Is his own voice. Now, just sometimes when he says, I, that's referring to God. The I there, God is speaking. Sometimes when he says, I, he's referring to himself. This can be very confusing. And I think you'll see a little bit of this in chapter six and chapter seven of the book of Micah. If I had everyone here in the church this evening, I would have everyone look at that and see if we could identify that. But that can be, wait, who's the I? I say this, is that Micah or is that God? Is that Micah speaking for on the behalf of God? Is that Micah? Sometimes those are things that can be very confusing and trying to figure out. He's also known for quoting both false prophets as well as the nations that will be converted. Now, this is interesting. He says he's known for quoting both false prophets. And they have 2, 6 through 7. Let's go to Micah 2, 6 through 7 just to see what they're referencing here. Micah 2, 6 through 7. Prophesy ye not, say th- they to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. O thou that are named the house of Jacob is the spirit of the Lord straightened. Are those his doings, do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly. So at least he's referencing false prophets, all right? Or false prophecies, maybe, the way we could look into that. That's interesting. And he also references nations that will be converted. Micah chapter 4, verse 2, where we read, and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountains of the Lord. Now see there, he's, he's giving a quote to these nations that are going to come to the temple of God. They're going to come there. He's giving a quote, Micah two, I guess you could kind of say he's, he's, he's giving you what the pro- false prophets are going to say, All right, That that's, that's nothing completely unique. I think, I think a lot of that happens in other parts of the old Testament. Micah's message to Judah included basically the same themes as the message Amos had delivered to the northern kingdom half a century earlier. With his attacks on the violent and those who oppress the poor, Micah spoke not only for his own era, but for all eras to come. He understood also the enduring truth that genuine religion is based on a heart desiring to please God, not ritual. Along with his contemporary Isaiah, Micah foresaw an age of blessedness under a great Davidic ruler who would wisely lead God's people in righteousness. So he saw a time where there was going to be great blessing and a Davidic ruler who was going to rule over them. And if that ruler is Jesus as prophesied in his birth in Bethlehem, then you would have to ask, has that ever occurred yet? And if it hasn't, when will it occur? Or you have to spiritualize it and say that it was never supposed to be a literal kind of ruling. Now, here's some basic features and structure of the book. Micah 4, 1 through 3 is almost exactly like Isaiah 2, 2 through 4, which demonstrates that these contemporaries indeed knew each other. Scholars disagree as to whether the the time he referred to as the last days begins with the first coming of Christ or yet awaits his return. These verses reverse the imagery of Joel three ten. All right, so they they what they show is that Micah four one through three and Isaiah two two through four are very 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 similar which may demonstrate that these were contemporaries. They knew each other. They're going to kind of argue maybe they knew each other. Maybe they were borrowing from each other. I I don't like to go there. I, I just believe not only the contemporaries, they're going to be talking about very similar things in very similar ways because God is inspiring and directing them. He's leading them through divine revelation to say similar things because they're dealing with similar situations. I think that's probably a better way to understand it. And that there's some debate about the last days. When, when does that, does, do they begin with the first coming of Christ or yet await his return? All right. One of the striking features of the book is the way it alternates between prophecies of judgment and prophecies of future blessing. The pattern occurs three times and provides a clue for organizing the book. Now, I'm going to spend a little time with this. This is just very important from a hermeneutical uh, perspective, okay? Now, please note, it's going to alternate between prophecies of judgment and prophecies of future blessing. Now, this is just, you have to get this down. If the prophecies of judgment are to be understood as literal judgments that literally occurred in history, they actually occurred, they involved real people, real nations, real suffering, they were real, then I don't believe you have the hermeneutical license to come along and go, okay, the judgments were literal, but the future blessings are not literal. It's not gonna be literal temple, literal people, literal nation, that's gonna be spiritual. I don't know how you can say the, the the judgments are literal, but the blessings are figurative, allegorical, spiritual in some way, shape, or form that doesn't have anything to do with Israel or Judah, doesn't have anything to do with a real temple, doesn't have anything to do with real blessings, but it's all just going to be blessings that happen in the church. I don't know where you would get that hermeneutical license to, to create a situation like that. But here is the basic cycle, all right? The first cycle of judgment happens in chapter 1, verse 1, and it goes to chapter 2, verse 11. So chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 11 is judgment. Then in chapter 2, and we can look at it, starting in verse 12, look what happens. "'I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. "'I will surely gather the remnant of Israel.'" I will put them together as the sheep of Abora, as the flock in the midst of their folds. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitudes of men. The breaker has come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and they are gone out by it and their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. Now, if all of the judgments mentioned before that are literal, then there's going to be a literal gathering of them a literal king leading them, there's going to be something literal about that. That's the only only way to interpret it. So again, the first cycle is judgment, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 11. Then the first cycle of blessing is chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The second cycle is judgment, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And then we have the cycle of blessing, which is chapter four, verse one, all the way to chapter five, verse 15. So the first cycle is judgment, chapter one, verse one to chapter two, verse 11. And then the blessing is chapter two, verses 12 through 13. The second cycle, you have judgment, chapter three, verses one through 12, and then blessing chapter four, verse one to chapter five, verse 15. Now, and that second cycle, please note that part of the blessing is found in 5 2. Hey, Bethlehem. Someone's gonna be born. Now, that was a literal person born in literal Bethlehem. So you already right there, you know, in at least the second cycle, part of the blessing there is literal. So if part of the blessing is literal, all of it has to be literal. The first cycle, judgment, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 11. The blessing is chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The second cycle is judgment, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And the blessing is chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to chapter 5, verse 15. The third cycle, judgment, chapter 6, verse 1, to chapter 7, verse 7. The blessings occur in chapter 7, verse Verses 8 through 20. So there's three cycles. Each cycle has judgment and blessing. I'm going to give you that one more time. Judgment, chapter 1. The first cycle, judgment, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 11. The blessing in that first cycle is chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The second cycle is judgment, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And then the blessing is chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 15. Third cycle, judgment, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Or, I'm sorry, judgment is chapter 6, verse 1, to chapter 7, verse 7. Okay, I apologize if I said chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's chapter 6, verse 1, to chapter 7, verse 7. And then the blessing is chapter 7, verses 8 through 20. Now, there is a lot of assignments I could give you right there. I'm going to hold off. I'm, I'm not going to give you any assignments there. I, I think as a church here at Victory Baptist Church, we're going to work through some of these. I think we're going to work through some of these as a church. All right? And we'll we'll add this to the Bible study exercise. Even, even if we're done with the Bible study exercise, like and we move on to another Bible study exercise here at the, as a church, We may keep this Bible study exercise continuing with some extra episodes as we work through some of that because I think it would be really good for my church to go see. Here's the judgment. See, it's literal, right? That happened right here. So that's when the Assyrians came in. That's when Babylonian came. That's all literal. Now let's look at the blessings. And then we're going to write out and say, well, then all these blessings have to be literal. I think think that would be a, a great exercise. I don't want you to do that though for this week's Bible study exercise because if you do that, we won't work on chapter five enough, right? Just remember, chapter five, chapter five, um, is a is a section. Well, chapter five all the way down to verse fifteen. So, um, oh, that's the whole chapter. Okay, so all of chapter five falls into the cycle of blessing. It's the second cycle, and it, it's all blessing. So 5 through 5, 1 through 15 deals with blessing. That, that's interesting where they place it. We'll have to see if that works. And well, that's it. That's your overview of the book of Micah. Now you have some structure in how to, to handle all of that. So now, what do you need to do? Well, let's just, let's play a little game here really quick. Go to Micah chapter 5 verse 1. Now gather thyself and troops. O daughter of troops, he hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. All right. Who are these troops? Daughters of troops. What What, what troops is that referring to? That are called to be gathered. Who is the he who has laid siege against us? And who is the they who will smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. There's a lot of people to identify in that verse. What is going on? So I'm just going to do this really quick. Just for, um, okay, all right. I'm getting emails here about other things. Let's do this. I'm just going to go to Google. I'm going to type in Micah chapter five, verse one. Micah chapter five, verse one. And I'm going to read it from a number of translations. Right? Just, this is just to try to ease you into chapter five. This is just to try to ease you into chapter five. All right, new international version. Marshal your troops, now city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now, which, which ruler of Israel is going to be struck in the cheek with a rod? The ruler of that's talked about and that's going to be born from Bethlehem or a different ruler. New Living Translation. Mobilize! Marshal your troops! The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. The ESV. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. What What? what exactly... What exactly is going on here? All right. Um. Yeah. Okay. There's, I, I'm just there's a passage in 1 Kings 22 that's coming to mind, but I'm not going to give that away to you right now. All right. Now. I'm just going to start reading some commentaries just to show you some things that's going on here. What the the first commentary this verse coheres better with the former chapter to which it is attached in the Hebrew version. Now, this is one of those situations where chapter divisions are extremely unfortunate. We love chapter divisions. I'm glad they were added because it makes it so much easier to study and preach and say, turn your Bibles to chapter three or four. But in some cases, when reading it, it messes everything up. So if we go back to chapter four, now, remember, according to This cycle of blessings supposedly starts all the way back in chapter four, verse one and goes all the way to chapter five, the end of chapter five. All right, but if we go back, where would we need to go back to understand what's going on? Um if if we go, if we go back to verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, I will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. That's seeming to be some kind of promise of of protection and that they're going to have victory. And then it says, now gather yourself, get together. Hey, I promise you, I'm gonna protect you because someone's coming against us. Is that is that kind of the connection, maybe? Uh, Micah, again, basically places a prediction of trouble and dismay between the sentences describing triumph and glory. The sentence of smiting the judge has its historical fulfillment in the indignities which happened to King Zedekiah. So they're like, okay, Zedekiah is the fulfillment of this, right? So then this is not the the, the, the person, the ruler that is to come. That, 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 that's what they say this is connected to, all right? Um, let's go on. Let's read another commentary. There's a lot here, and I'm just trying to get you started. That's all I'm trying to do here, all right? Um, after Zion's degradation, Messiah shall be born and shall bring the world into subjection. This verse is uh, joined to the preceding chapter in the Hebrew. Jerusalem is addressed as in Micah 4, 9 through 11, not the invading army. The prophet returns to the view of the misery and humiliation expressed in that passage. Gather thyself in troops, or thou shalt gather thyself, etc. Jerusalem must collect its armies to defend itself from the enemy. So according to this, this is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, get yourself together. Gather yourself together. O daughter of troops, uh, Jerusalem is thus named from the number of soldiers collected within her walls from whence marauding expeditions were wont to set forth. Uh, some consider that she is so called from the acts of violence, robbery, and bloodshed, which are done within her. Uh, Some thinks the prophet represents the people crowding together in fear. It is more natural to refer to the expression to the abnormal assemblage of soldiers and fugitives within the walls of a besieged city. Uh, The daughter shall be wholly hemmed in. The enemy is spoken of by an abrupt change of person against us. The prophet identifies himself with the besieged people. They shall smite the judge of Israel. The judge represents the supreme authority, whether king or other governor, but he is called here judge that the sacred name of king may not be spoken of as dishonored. To smite upon the cheek is a, the grossest insult when Zion is thus besieged and its rulers suffer the uttermost, uh, basically insult its conditions must look hopeless. Such a state of things were realized in the treatment of Zedekiah, 2 Kings 25, and in many subsequent sieges of Jerusalem. But the underlying idea is that Israel shall suffer dire distress at the hands of her enemies until Messiah comes and she herself turns to the Lord. So it's like, okay, hey, get ready, gather yourself together. You're going to suffer Some massive insult. Your judge is going to be smiked with a rod upon the cheek. It's going to be insult, but, but, don't fear. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall be come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Hey, there, there, you're, there's, you need to gather together. You need to be concerned. There's going to be bad things, but then there's a promise. But in contrast to what this siege, the ruler is coming. The ruler is coming. Until he comes, there's going to be this kind of, well, unfortunate situation. All right, now I'm, I'm just going to stop right there. Interesting that it, it's, okay, well, there's a lot I could say there, but I'm not going to say it. Just start working through it. Just start working through it. Obviously, verse 2, we understand it. But then after it, there's there's going to be questions about wait, what's going on, what just happened. Try to make some sense of it. Just start struggling with it. Just start looking at commentary after commentary, after commentary. I'm going to look at something right here. I'm just going to look. I'm just curious. I've got kind of a... Um, oh. I, I just, this is interesting here. Verses one and two, all right? Micah is contrasting great Jerusalem experiencing the Babylonian siege and the humble Bethlehem where the eternal one will step into time to save his people. The future of God's plan of salvation lays in lowly Bethlehem. That's interesting. That And verse one, it's basically, remember how that commentary says some of that language could refer to Jerusalem. Hey, Jerusalem, trouble is coming. Siege is coming. Pain is coming. Salvation is gonna come in Bethlehem, but obviously future salvation. That's interesting. Um, it also says that, so we have two cities mentioned. There's a contrast between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Two possible births. The birth of Messiah brought hope to Israel, but the nation would not receive him. He had to give them up until the day he returns to, rest, to restore them. Their salvation will be the birth of a nation, and there will be peace to the ends of the earth. So you got the birth of the Messiah, which ultimately will then lead to really the birth of the nation being restored much later at some other time. Okay, possibly. Two victories. Messiah will win a victory over his enemies and will make his people victorious and fruitful. But he will also win a victory over his own people and purge them of their sins. These things they trusted with will then be removed. Um, uh, Their fortresses, sorceries, idols, and they will learn to trust in the Lord. So, We have, according to this idea, that in this chapter we have two cities, two births, and two victories. You you can see what you think there. I kind of just gave you an outline. You you can you can see what you want to do with that. Um, Yeah, I think um, verse one is just interesting to me. I don't know is that a reference to the Babylonian captivity? I got. I got. I got to think that. I think that one out. Obviously, verse two. We got no. No question about that. And then immediately after that's over, therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So, are we saying that the the ruler's going to come from Bethlehem, but he's going to give up them up? He's going to give them up until a certain time. Is that the giving up of Israel? And then what in the world is going on? Uh, Verse uh, verse four, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall abide for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. Okay, is that is that referring, that has to be referring to Jesus, right? And then verse five, and this man, this is where it really gets weird. And this man is that speaking of Jesus, the one born in Bethlehem, shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we rise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Which man is that referring to? And who are the. I'm just going to look. I'm just going to look at verse five. I got to look at something. I'm going to go to verse 5. I'm going to see how this is translated. All right, Uh, And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. Now this is the Assyrians. Is chapter 5 verse 1 referring to the Babylonian captivity? Now we have the Assyrians. He will be the source of peace when the Assyrians invade our land and break through our defenses. We will appoint seven rulers to watch over us, eight princes to lead us. So, so, so the source of their peace is going to be the one born in Bethlehem. When the Assyrians come, like what? What is going on here? I'm just going to be uh, read a couple of things here. Um, he shall he shall himself be peace. Uh, for my love they are my adversaries, but I am. And then okay, they're quoting from Psalm. It's not a super help. When the Assyrians come into our land, this may refer to the imminent apprehension of the invasion of Sennacherib, but the actual event does not correspond to it. It may look forward to the time when the enemies of Israel attacked the Jews and the Maccabean period and the shepherds seven or eight are an indefinite number successfully resisted the attacks upon the flock. The intention of the passage may be spiritually interpreted as pointing to the eight principal strictly anointed man who as Christian pastors receive their commission from the Messiah. I don't know what in the world that's to- how what uh, I what is going on here okay um yeah okay there whoa there is a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of speculation here when the Assyrian shall come the prophet in this end and in this and the following verses show that what this what is that peace which Messiah shall bring uh Asher is named as the type of Israel's deadliest foe and at and as that, which even then was threatening the kingdom, witnessed Sennacherib's invasion in Hezekiah's time when the angel of the Lord smote the alien army with sudden destruction, 2 Kings 19. The prophecy looks forward to a far distant future when the world power is strayed against God's people. The details, as often in such prophecies, do not exactly suit the actual facts and the contemporary history. Then shall we rise against him seven shepherds. We, the Israel of God, shall be enabled to repel the enemy. That whoa. I don't have a clue what's going on there. Nobody seems to have there is so much speculation. When you get to that, that is so crazy. Um And this man shall be the peace. That that means the the Messiah, the, the Messiah is going to be peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land. But if it didn't name the Assyrians, then there's some things could like okay, he, the Messiah is going to be our source of peace when the enemy comes in. If it if it was vague, then you could say, well, this could refer to I, I, some some distant situation. But to say the Assyrians. To say the Assyrians, which had a very much historical context there. Sorry, trying to take a drink of water. You you have a very historical context there. But the the one born in Bethlehem doesn't arrive at that time. That's why all of the commentaries are like, it doesn't really correspond with any of the facts. Right? well, this is the Assyrians under uh, with you know Sennacherib coming in. Well, wait a minute. You don't have the one born in Bethlehem yet. So how does that correspond in any way, shape, or form? This, this, this is going to raise lots of questions this week. And we're, we're going to have to do some work. We're going to have to do a lot of work here. I, I don't know what answers we're going to come up with. I, I, I'm begging you. You need to write down what we can figure out and write down what we can't figure out, because, because there's going to be things that we're just not going to be, it's not going to make any sense. I know that the one born in Bethlehem is Jesus, because of Matthew chapter 2, I believe it's verse 6. I know that's Jesus. So you so you say, well, we have to have someone born in Bethlehem who is the peace of those when the Assyrians come in. Well, Then you, yeah, there there is some issues going on there. I, I don't know what is going on. These commentaries are absolutely no help. I mean, these, I mean, when you get here and you find out that like everyone is, uh, Okay, like here's another commentary. When the Assyrians shall come, this is quite correctly rendered. The prophet speaking in the name of the people looks forward to an Assyrian domination over the Holy Land. Many commentators unnecessarily suppose it to be a hypothetical clause, supposing that another Assyrian should invade our land. Israel will be able to meet him with abundance of capable leaders. What? I mean... They they don't really have clue what's going on, as well. Um, so another commentary after the illustrious prophet, illustrious prophecy relating to the Messiah and the foregoing verses, the prophet passes on to the subversion of the uh, Assyrian Empire and under the type of that ancient enemy of God's people foretells the overthrow of all their enemies, especially of the anti-Christian powers, which should attack his church. So so now this says the Assyrians here are not really literal Assyrians. They're just figurative of all the enemies that are going to come upon the church. And this is now referencing the church. We're going to forget Judah. We're going to forget Israel. And now we're going to go to the church. That is a massive, what in the world is going on here? Okay, uh, and, and okay, this commentary when the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, Asser stands for the most powerful and deadliest foe, ghostly and bodily, as the Assyrian then was of the people of God. For since this plainly relates to the time after Christ's coming, and to say the least, after the captivity and Babylonian and deliverance, uh, from it which itself followed the dissolution of the Assyrian empire the Assyrians cannot be the literal people who had long since ceased to be uh, ceased to be an isaiah to the assyrian as the type of the antichrist and of satan I, that is i don't know about that the Assyrian, being Israel's most powerful foe at that time, Assyria has made the representation of all the foes of Israel and all ages who shall receive their final destruction at Messiah's appearing. Wow. You Now, this one goes for a more literal concept. When the Assyrian shall come into our land... As Sennacherib did within a few years after this prophecy, uh, uh or as Sennacherib did within a few years after this prophecy was delivered, and then by the power and authority of Messiah was Sennacherib and his army defeated and Judah's peace was and Judah's peace was secured. Wow, that Okay, just a thought, just a thought. Just just a thought, just stay with me here. I don't know if this works, okay? i just, just throwing out a thesis here. The one that's gonna be born in Bethlehem, that birth is at a specific time coming 700 years into the future, right? Around 700 years into the future. However, that one that's coming is from everlasting, is from everlasting. It says right there in verse two, he has been from of old, from everlasting. So even though he's going to be born, he already exists. So can the one who is not yet born still be their peace and still be there when the Assyrians do come in and is as resp- being given the the being get, being told that he will be responsible for their peace and for stopping the Assyrians from 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 doing certain things. It, it, does that work it, does that work? I, I don't like that oh this see this is all figurative here now, if that's figurative then why is the one born in Bethlehem not figurative? I, I, I don't like that approach. He's from everlasting. so is there some immediate context where the Assyrians were going to come in but the Messiah was going to be their peace and they were going to be defeated at, at a certain at, at a certain point maybe even supernaturally defeated, and we'd have to go to 2 Kings and and try to verify some of this, Um, that they were stopped. And the Messiah, even though not yet born, is the one seen as being the one who's going to accomplish this. Does that work? I'll throw it out there for you, all right? We're at an hour. Wow. Ah, There's so much there. I'm telling you, this is going to be one of those weeks where you're going to be like, man, this is complicated stuff. That's good. That's good. All right. So we're we're definitely got to talk about this some more. There's a lot going on in this chapter that we have to figure out. Just dig in. I'm not even going to give you any specific direction. I've just tried to get you up to this point. Just dig in and just start thinking it through and we'll see what answers we can come up with. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And of course, if you're part of the Discord group, you can just start throwing out every crazy concept you can come up with, right? Because look- Con, you say, well, I'm afraid that my ideas may be crazy. Did you just see, he, <laughs> did you just listen to some of those commentaries? They're just throwing out crazy ideas, but, but they wrote a commentary. Just because they wrote a commentary didn't mean they didn't throw out crazy ideas. Like sometimes they just throw out an idea. It's almost like, well, we have to have some kind of answer. Anybody got an idea? Okay, Bob, I, I'll throw out your idea right? And you just throw out the idea because some of these ideas, you're like, and they don't even try to justify it, defend it, or explain it. They're just like, that's what's going on. And I'm sitting there going, no, I think maybe, maybe I'm onto something. Hey, the the Messiah, he already exists before Bethlehem. He's from everlasting. He is of old. So is it possible that he then is going to be their peace when the Assyrians come in, in and a short amount of time after this prophecy is made? That would be pretty awesome, right? Demonstrating he is already, He was, He is and he will forever be. Because God has always been. He's always present in the present, but he is all, will always be there in the future because he's eternal. maybe, maybe that's why it stresses his eternality. And Micah 5, two is because his eternality is going to be witnessed because he's going to be the reason the Assyrians... Maybe I'm on to something there. Maybe I'm on to something. You, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Oh, there's so much more I wanted to do today. We didn't get to it. All right, we'll stop right there, everyone. I, I don't know what else to say. I'm at an hour. It's almost six o'clock. I'm going uh, to... I, I, I start realizing after all so many hours of doing, I mean, I like how many hours, I'm at what four, almost five hours of of broadcast today. At some point, you just got to know when to say time out. You just got to know when to stop because at that, you're just your your ability to, to continue to put forth anything worthwhile starts to diminish minute by minute. So I just think I've reached that point where I need to stop. So hopefully, wow, that was a lot of stuff right there. I I just, I, man, I hope if this doesn't spark, if Micah five doesn't spark conversation and discussion among all the people participating in the Bible study exercise, nothing will. Okay. Like we should just give up now and say it's over. Everyone should just be like all week, just be like going, Whoa, what is going on here? I think I threw out a theory. I think my theory needs to be worked on. I threw out my thesis And then we can see if we can structure it and make it all work. All right, I can't wait to hear from everyone. Have a great week. First week of 2022, let's study scripture. Let's memorize scripture. No matter what else is going on, let's at least try to accomplish that. And you can contact me and let's work on this together. Everyone have a great week. God bless.